Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Live and Learn with Daniel Floyd. For those of you that don't know me, I'm your host, Daniel. I'm a teacher and a family man, learning to be better every day through authentic conversations. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. This is the first episode of 2024. First of all, I want to give a big thank you to everyone who listened to and supported the show last year. Shalene and I are looking forward to 2024 being another fruitful year of authentic conversations on the podcast. As always, our goal in having these podcast discussions is to open up conversations on how we all can live our lives more wisely and more intentionally. For this inaugural episode of 2024, I wanted to have a conversation with Shalene about some of the highlights in our own learning in the past year. In this episode, we talk about some of the books we read and why we did or didn't like them. We talk about how we've changed personally as a result of our learning. And we also discuss how we've both grown in making learning a sustainable lifestyle in our household. For example, I am not a natural reader, and Shalene and I talk about some of the hacks that we've discovered on how to make reading an enjoyable habit in our lives rather than a begrudging chore. If you're interested in making reading and learning a part of your lifestyle, I hope you get something out of this discussion. Thank you all once again for listening. Let's jump right into the conversation. No, I, I'm confused by your question. Like, are some of the books on your list books that you've been reading for like three years and, no. you, and you just made progress last year? No. Okay. They're all like new as of last year and a few of them I haven't finished yet. Nice. Books that you've started. Yeah. And you're still working on all of them. Correct. So in total, a lot of reading, I, I'm imagining. Yeah. It only looks like 24. Although one of those 24 just says several others of the guardians of Gahul because I read that whole series oh, yeah, at the end of that. last year slash the beginning of this year. And I don't know where that cutoff was. So that could technically be like another five or six that I read in the new year of this year. I forgot that I was excited to show you those books and you just like cranked out the whole series. Cause yeah. Well, cause you quit. I know I quit. I don't know why. <sighs> But anyway, are there any books on that list that you're ex that you're like excited when you started and maybe you're excited to finish? Again, I don't know what you mean by that question. Are there books on that list that you're excited about? Sure. Um, one that I really am enjoying and just like kind of taking in chunks, which is why it's taking me a while to read it, is called Lead by Paul David Tripp. And it's about um, just like... I think it's like eight principles or maybe 16. Can't remember. It's some nice number of like principles for good leadership in the church. Hmm. And so it's just been really cool to read um, as I work on the administration team at our church and just like see the things that our eldership team practices. And then so I get to like see what they're doing and have conversations about it. But then also consider like how my boss and I handle things in our team of stuff and just it's really convicting in my own life of just different principles and how like it should be gospel centered leadership and how that trickles down in a million different ways. So I'm, that's, that's yeah. one that I'm like, what does he mean by gospel centered leadership? <sighs> you so, know, you're but, so much better at the one line recaps of things. Well, I mean, just, I mean, you don't, I'm not like going to, grade this later yeah whatever um <laughs> gospels it's what it sounds like like what does it look like it like he breaks down like if we're really following and loving jesus it means like one of his chapters is on limits recognizing that god created you and he created you with limits like he created you with gifts but then that means you're also not gifted in every area he created you with time, you have 24 hours in a day. So the fact that you like don't have a hundred hours every day, like that was God created. Hmm. And like, so you need to recognize those limits. And then he talks about like 
I actually think gospel centered may have been one of his chapters, like one of the principles. And that's like, what does gospel centered community look like on your team? And that is like, are you honest with one another? Are you vulnerable? Are you seeking improvement? Are you accountable to one another? Are you like, he goes through a bunch of different, and I like that also just in his writing style, because it's very like, here's this thing. And then here are all these sub points of what this thing looks like. Hmm. And here are examples of this thing in action. And here are questions to ask about this thing to see how it's functioning and like help you dig deeper. Um, yeah. So I haven't read that one for a little bit cause I've had other ones that I've like had to be reading. That's cool. So, so I guess, yeah. Is that specifically administrative leaders in churches or it's just all the leading? Is it like for elders too? Yeah. It's yeah. Fair enough. I guess I it could apply. Yeah, Elders well, do administrative things too anyway, so yes, I, it probably it just hits everyone. It seems to talk more about like, I don't know. It doesn't say, it says like church leadership. Yeah. And enough. I'm curious because with Tripp's background, like sometimes mm. I feel a little divergent because I'm not sure that he's actually speaking to me as a woman, you know? I was about to be like, no women. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not sure, but I'm like, he's like Baptist for sure. Yeah, which would lean toward the yeah. When, well, definitely women are not elders, and then like right. decent chance that it's like women don't have positions of authority in the church. Sure, which I would I'm cool with that. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. but I think it's still applicable to my role in the admin office. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And it's just been cool because it's also caused me to appreciate our leadership team so much more uh -huh. because I see the ways that they're implementing good leadership and like healthy leadership. And yeah, that's super satisfying when you're reading like a leadership book or um, I don't know, even like a relationship book or a marriage book and you read something, it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm doing that or like these people in my life are doing that. And like, yeah. it's very nice to like get that affirmation mm -hmm. um, sometimes. So that's pretty yeah, cool. It's good. And then it brings challenges in other places. I also realized that I want to read way more biographies like, yeah. yeah. Cause I just finished a random biography that I found, um, called a lucky child by Thomas Bergenthal. And it's about his experience, like surviving as a child through the Holocaust. And oh. so was that one of your audiobooks? Yeah. So okay. I just like found it. I just remember it. hearing very like distressing yeah. stories as I walked through in and out of the bathroom exactly. in the mornings and so yep. I didn't know. Yeah. So that was that. And then I read um, Becoming Elizabeth Elliot, right. but that was during my pregnancy with William. So that's been a while ago, but I'm so excited because we just found out from our friends the other day that the next book about her later years is out now. It's called Being Elizabeth Elliot. And oh my goodness, wait, I didn't ever searched on Hoopla. Hold on. Oh, you might have it for free through our I local tax supported free. library. Hold on. Hold on. She's Googling Being, it now. No, I'm hooplying it. Oh, Elizabeth. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just funny because there's becoming Elizabeth Elliot, then there's being Elizabeth Elliot, and then it makes you wonder if there's a trilogy, what would the next book be? Oh, yeah. No, I did look it up already because there's Jim Elliot stuff, and then that's how I found um, Let Me Be a Woman by Elizabeth Elliot, which I just listened to like last week, which that was good. But anyway, so I'm excited and I'm listening right now. I don't think I even put this on my list because I was like, well, I haven't finished it yet. Ah, the tally continues um, because breaking free from body shame by Jess Connolly. Mm, sounds like a good book. It's been really good. It was recommended to me by my friend Destiny um, and... It's been pretty solid. Like I've like teared up multiple times as I'm listening in the shower slash getting ready in the morning. And I'm like, oh, that's a tender spot. Hi, Lord. Yeah. So it sounds <laughs> like it's a, a Christian book. Yes. Or yeah. Christian author. Yes. Yeah. She's a Christian author. And then I'm excited because I was texting my other friend um, and Mandy and she was, we were talking about body and health and stuff. And she recommended like three other titles that are secular but I'm interested in adding them to my list slash I'm hesitant to keep a list because of like things to read. Cause it just keeps growing. You know, yeah. you got to limit it somewhere. 
I'm but, curious what this looks like for you or what it has looked like for you. Do books just kind of fall in your lap like, oh, someone recommended this or that looks good and you just start it? Yeah. As opposed to being like, I want to read this book this month and I'm just going to read this book. So it's looked different at different periods of my life. Yeah. Like I used to be extremely goal oriented and would not let myself start another book until I finished the current one. Yeah. But then after college, I like wasn't reading at all because, you know, college. Um, and so in starting to try to read again, I like would try to start reading a book and then I'd like try to make myself finish it. And I'd be like, I just can't. And so I'd like quit reading. Hmm. And so that's when I allowed myself to start like dabbling in up to six or currently I'm at eight books, nine, <laughs> nine books at a time. Nice. And then that way you can just choose whatever's fitting the feeling Nine might be a bit much. To be honest, like five of those have been sitting on the back burner for a bit. And like, I want to finish them to finish them at some point. Yeah. Well, no, several of them are good enough. Like I want to finish them. That's another thing that like I've learned if a book is not worth my time, I just don't finish it. Yeah. Which is hard. Yeah. Because it just feels wrong on multiple levels of like, you didn't finish the job or you're not a good reader because you didn't finish the book. Yeah. But one thing and like one of my biggest accomplishments from 2023 that I'm proud of is like I set out a goal to read at least one book a month and I didn't read a book every month, but I did read more than 12 books. So there were some months with zero and some with more than one, but like I'm very happy that I read. Yeah a little more than 12 books, maybe like 14 books uh, last year. And that was really cool. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things with that is um, if it's not worth finishing, then don't finish it. And giving yourself the permission and the freedom to just like close it and move on and not have like uh, any sort of FOMO about it um, helps you because uh, like you just said, if you if you force yourself to finish the book when you don't really want to, and you're not getting value out of it, then it stagnates your whole reading habit or Mm. reading lifestyle, which I think is more of a loss than just not finishing the book. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Well, I'm going through and marking those from my list that are not finished currently, but it made me realize that one that I'm still like reading and loving and just excited about is it's called mathematics in Western culture by Morris Klein. Oh yeah. And, um, I got it as a recommendation from Dr. Dave Garth. Yeah. Um, and he's the like department head of mathematics at Truman and a really good friend of ours from church. Yeah. Anyway, I have just loved nerding out about that. And I'm not going to lie. I, my pride appreciates the ego boost of getting to tell people that I'm reading a mathematics book and loving it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, you feel a little it's there. good about yourself about that one. I do, but it's also really interesting. Like it's like semi-biographical at times because it talks about like Galileo and this was his life and this why is why he got into this and then like this dude and this is why calculus became a thing and then like but then it's also historical. It's not just biographical. It looks at like society and culture and like movements of thought um and mathematics. And so it's just really cool. I definitely could not tell you all of the details and all of the things, but it's been brain stimulating. And I told myself before I started it that I wasn't going to have to give a book report on it because that was part of what was overwhelming with it. I was like, I'm not going to be able to like learn all the things from this book. And I was like, you're not going to be able to be at like a a get together with friends and just like, be like, check out this cool thing about Galileo. Yeah. Like explicate every chapter to them. No, but I told myself, I was like, But, you know, Shaleen, like being exposed to these ideas and these stories and this knowledge will at least create exposure and like lay a foundation to build off of moving forward. So I've just let myself enjoy it. It's really fun. That's cool. If I'm remembering correctly, the reason you even asked uh, Dave about book recommendations was because you were looking for ways to see how math is actually applied in the world or has been applied in history yeah. instead of math just being this abstract logic game, which is fun for us because we like math just yes. because it's math. Yeah. But with you teaching math to students that are not intrinsically motivated for math, yeah, trying to make it come alive and give it a more human aspect, 
I think was the motivation to get into that. Which really the biggest thing I've come away with there is that like we detach math so much from like the rest of world and we of life and we say it's just like this logic game and whatever and just follow the rules because that's how you follow the rules. The largest thing I've come away with is like, no, no, science and technology would not exist or be where it is without the language of math to take it there. Like that's what's been so cool is like you can really argue that all of these things that we've discovered wouldn't have happened unless somebody sat down and figured out the math to like speak it Mm -hmm. and then play with it and figure it out. Yeah. And so that's been just like very satisfying too, as someone who loves the form and beauty of math Mm -hmm. to then be like, yeah, science. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's reminding me of a online class I took last spring um, the modeling instruction. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a 10 week, one hour a week Zoom. No, three hours a week. It was a mm-hmm. three hour Sunday afternoon. So that was crazy. But one of the, the takeaways, it was basically like how to teach science better is an oversimplified way of saying it. But they had particular techniques and whatever sure. for teaching science better. And one of the things that the teachers mentioned repeatedly is that if you present information that is just abstract and disembodied from any concrete examples or any experience of the students or any visual representations or just like, you know, of like, here's the quadratic formula and it's just the quadratic formula and here's how you move all the things around and here's how you get the roots of your equation and solve for the the vertex and blah, blah, blah. Like that's just very abstract and disembodied. Yeah. And what they were saying in that class is that when you present information like that as a teacher, uh, you are only, you're only going to have a small number of students latch onto it and actually remember it. Yeah. But the vast majority of students are not engaged by that and they don't do a good job of making it meaningful. Mm -hmm. And so what they were telling us with science education is that you should be able to represent a concept in multiple dimensions. Yeah. And so that's something that I'm actually really working on in my teaching now, um, since I've taken that class is like, okay, if I want to teach a kid about density, Mm -hmm. I can just get, I can just tell you the abstract definition and make you write it down and memorize the definition of density. Mm -hmm. But if I don't give you a hands-on experience of density at work, if I don't then talk about the math behind density, if I don't give you visual representations or um, draw graphs about density, like there's all these different ways we can approach a concept. Um, And so as a teacher, it's better, or as a learner, it's better to experience information through multiple lenses, visually, story-wise, math equations, words, writing sentences about it, making graphs about it, like all of that kind of stuff. And so um, I think math is especially a problem, especially just in the way that curriculum is constructed and the way that it's taught, largely in our country, at least. I don't know about other countries. Um, It's just very abstract. And it's like, it obviously is very important because all the math that is taught um, K through 12 is used every day somewhere it had it was argued over it was debated over a lot of it had to be discovered quote unquote especially well i mean just even down to algebra and calculus and just like all this stuff and it's like there's a whole world of the meaning of the math and yeah. how it works in society that is like not even mentioned in a lot of math classes and i can't claim to know all of that to be able to teach it yeah but i kind of just know that in principle um and so, yeah, it's cool to uncover that. And I think, I don't know, if I were to ever teach math or, I don't know, start a school or something like that, I would strive to incorporate that more into the curriculum as best I could. Yeah, it's challenging to me because it makes me realize how much I was never taught that. So like how much I don't know any of that, hmm. which is what led me to like at least wanting to dip my toes in with this book. And he gave me two other books that are also sitting in my stack of like 20 books on my nightstand. So after I finish mathematics and Western culture, I have like two others. Two other math books. Yeah. From Dr. Garth before I can. Nice. I need to return them at some point. Yeah. So 
That's pretty cool. Speaking of books we didn't finish, remember the Cobalt Red? I was going to ask you. That was like your first book of the year, right? That I mean, it's on my list for March. March. But okay. We probably got it before that. So yeah. yeah that, that. So that's. I mean, it's an important. The topic of the book is very important. It's about the cobalt, yeah. the cobalt industry, um, and how cobalt is mined in the Congo. Yeah. Um, essentially by slave labor. And cobalt is a metal that is in rechargeable batteries. Um, so think of anything that has a rechargeable battery. It has cobalt in it. And like 70% of the world's cobalt comes from a small little region in the Congo. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much all slave labor. And so this journalist, um, I, I originally listened to a podcast where he was talking about it. And I'm like, I want to go read the book. And then we started the book together. And it's just... It's dense. Well, it's, it's, it's dense and dry. boring. Yeah. I don't know. Well, no, I think part of the problem is that, well, yeah, it's just boring. But I think it's also that we listen to the podcast first. So we kinda, so we got all the good nuggets yeah. from listening. Yeah. Although I was, I just saw that on the bookshelf and I was just thinking like, hmm, I wonder if I could get back and just like tackle it and like finish it. Yeah. Or skip skip to the chapters that seem interesting yeah because like we're like we read like the first chapter and it was like backstory like the history of tons tons backstory the like geographic backstory of like why those metals are even in the congo and then the backstory of like the colonization of the congo and then like the recent history of like congo in the last hundred years and it's just like backstory on backstory on backstory and it's like but it wasn't in an in in an interesting way yeah i don't know just kind of like a dry dry lecture in in written form i don't want to slam the guy he seemed nice on the podcast yeah he's great yeah (laughs) he's yeah so anyway the speaking of books that we didn't finish but yeah yeah, i don't know and one i think two of the biggest things for me um as I've tried to develop a reading habit and a reading lifestyle is yes, giving myself permission to not finish a book if it's not interesting, but then also like being picky and only reading things that I want to read Uh instead of reading things that I think I should read or I'm supposed to read, Mm. which is so ingrained in you in school is like, you need to read this thing, and so you're going to read it because you have to read it because you're grade, because school, because whatever. Yeah. And I don't know. I think we just, we have this mindset of like reading is a chore, at least for me. I guess you're probably different. Yeah. But for me, reading was always a chore. It was a good chore. It was a virtuous chore, if I can use that word. Yeah, no. But it, but it was a chore. No. We, because here's the thing. Well, yeah, we did have to, no, I just love reading. Because I read a billion books outside of school the whole time growing up. Starting at like age four. No, I don't think I could read until kindergarten. Five. So I was six. Okay, yeah. I was an old kindergartner. Okay. Anyway, but like t- so many books. And so then in school, I don't remember, like we we were required to read a few, but a lot of times we were given like choices amongst the few or whatever. So you could always find one you liked. And then like for book reports, it was wide open. You could just like choose whatever and do that. So it wasn't really until college and even not college was I required to read whole books without my own liking. Yeah. But even the ones that I did, I enjoyed. I don't know. I just, I like books. They're good. Yeah. And now that I think about it, there's tons of people that like reading for the sake of reading, but I don't know for me. But for me, like, especially last year, like I realized like, oh, I'm really, well, I didn't realize I'm passionate about education, but I was putting pieces together of like, I'm really passionate about education. I potentially might want to like start a school in the future, um, semi-distant future, I don't know, 10, 20 years, something like that. Um, But I also want to be involved in the conversation on education on a broader scale. So instead of just having influence in my classroom as a teacher and my personal experience, I want to be able to be part of the conversation in my school district of like educational theory and educational history and educational policy and what should we do and why should we do it and all of these things. And then in our state of like, well, what should state policy on education look like? And then even bigger, like what does the federal government's role in education look like? Like I'm interested in participating in those conversations Mm -hmm. and having a voice 
um, at that level. And I also just have the belief that I don't just want to have a voice just to have a voice. I, I just don't want to have any voice. I want to have an educated voice. <laughs> Go figure, right? You want to be educated on education if you want to talk about education. But like, Meta. just seems, yeah, it just seems appropriate. And so anyway, for being the kind of person that can speak to educational topics and then also potentially wanting to be higher up administratively in uh -huh. education, it was like, man, I got to go learn a bunch of stuff and I need to be reading this. Mm -hmm. And as I begin to listen to other people talk about education, listen to like sermons and speeches and podcasts, it was like, oh, there's people out there that like know tons of stuff, like history and philosophy and like the there's cognitive psychology that goes in. Like there's so much stuff, like you could endlessly read and learn about it. Mm -hmm. And there's people that are like PhD level experts on all of those things. And so it's just like, Yep, if I want to be in that room, you know, and have that conversation, I need to like start working. And so it wasn't like I need to read this one book. It's like, no, I've got like 10 years of reading yeah. that I need to get cooking on. And so yeah. like and so I don't know, somehow that kind of all came together a year ago. It was literally like over Christmas break. I was kind of sitting around and it's just like yikes, like I got to get going cuz like this like this is not something I can just like work out or or solve quickly mm -hmm. and so i was like okay well i need to like i need to start i need to make this a lifestyle like this yeah. like the, i need to like live this way as oh. like especially if i'm looking long term and so anyway i'm saying all that to say that like because of this goal of who i want to be as a person as an educator that motivates me to want to read things that serve that end yeah. And so it's like, I want to now read all these books about education, um, especially like the Christian perspective of education. Mm -hmm. And it's just like that, that motivates me to read. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I was just like, I just want to read just to read um, is not a very motivating goal. But this vision of seeing myself as like a master educator in 5, 10, 15, 20 years helps motivate me reading now. Which is just you in general. Yeah, we have a friend who talks about the four like motivational, um, I don't know, templates or mindsets that people have. Um, some people are motivated by like a checklist, a to-do list. I don't know all four. I think I think one of them is like checklist to do, like task motivated. Like if you give them a task, like I'm gonna get that task done. Um, which I feel like could be you and our friend Nate are kind of like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't. She talks about so many different things. I don't know which one you are referring to, which one you are referring. <laughs> there's something about like there's four different quote unquote personalities related to what motivates you. So are you so, talking about the one that has like the rebel? Yeah. And the, yeah, I don't remember what all any of the rest of them are called. Right. I don't know what they're called. But anyway, some yes. people are motivated okay, by that. I know there's one where some people are motivated by social obligation and so if you like made a promise to someone, like you will get the thing done that you said because like there's people counting on you, there's people that need you. Or um, if you agreed to meet someone at the gym at 6 a.m. to work out with them, it's like you're going to follow through with that because you're not going to let your friend down. It's Gretchen Rubin and the Four Tendencies. Four Tendencies. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. So I don't know. We don't, I haven't read that book, but I know one of them there's is the rebel, is the rebel. Um, and, I don't know, the, the the label of rebel sounds like you just like do whatever you want and you don't listen to anyone, which I don't know, maybe there are some aspects of that tendency there. But oh. one aspect of the rebel is that um, they are motivated by the vision, the future vision of themselves of like, I want to be this type of person. And I'm not necessarily concerned with accomplishing tasks or the social implications as much, like obviously those matter, but the most inspiring and motivating tendency for the rebel is who do I want to be? What kind of person do I want to be? Yeah. And I don't know, that description really resonates with me. And so mm -hmm. I guess, I don't know, knowing that about myself informs how I develop new habits. Because mm -hmm. if I can tie it into like, I want to be this type of person, then I get excited to then like do the things that need to get done in order to become that person. Right. So... Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, and it's kind of working because I read 
like 14 books last year. So, <laughs> but I don't know. Can I talk about some of the education books that I read? Sure. Um, I think the best ones that I've read so far are by Doug Wilson and RJ Rushdooney. Okay. I have finished a couple, I finished two of the Wilson books. Oh, 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 oh. Doug Wilson, RJ Rushdooney, and then John Milton, no, John. John Milton Gregory. Is that his name? Yeah. Okay. John Milton Gregory, The Seven Laws of Teaching. That's on my list. <laughs> yeah. Um, those ones are good. Um, I would say, like, if anyone wanted, like, what what should be the Christian's perspective on education? I would definitely tell you to read Excused Absence. Um, and there's a subtitle with that, but that's by Doug Wilson. And it's basically just a book talking about um, what is God's design for education? What is the role of parents in education? What is the role or what is not the role of government in education? Um, and the, the real thrust of the book has, is toward, is, is basically that like Christians should not have their kids in public schools. Um, and then he, you know, he spends a whole book talking about why that is the case, or at least should not be in the public schools we have today in the United States. Um, but in order to support that argument, he has to give a lot of biblical context. He has to give a lot of historical context and stuff. And so that the excused absence book, um, was probably the best one that applies to teachers and parents as well. And so I really liked that one. Um, I read a Neil Postman book. Yeah. Um, yeah. he has a lot of books, um, but he wrote one called, excuse me, the, the end of education. And as I've kind of like, Ooh, bumping the table. Sorry. Um, as I've kind of like listened and learned more about educational philosophy and stuff like that, I think Neil Postman is kind of a, a modernist and I don't know if he's a Christian or not. He's probably like Christian friendly and would appeal to a lot of Christians, but, um, his book was basically like, if we want our educational system to be successful, I have like five principles that are really important for education. I'm going to tell you what those principles are. Um, and then I'm going to like write some stories of like how these principles might play out in the classroom. And I didn't necessarily even disagree. I kind of agreed with all of them of like, we should appreciate um, cultural diversity. We should value our history as a United States. Um, we should, I don't know, stuff. I, I wish I could, I can't recap all of it, but things that were like good ideas. But the thing that really turned me off from that book is he didn't argue from any sort of transcendent truth yeah. as to why his five points were the ones that we should agree on. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reminds me of Edie Hirsch, who is a book, which is a book I started last year and I, I still want to finish it just for the sake of reading an E.D. Hirsch book because E.D. Hirsch is like extremely influential and in has education. written, yeah, in education, um, anyone worth their salt in the education world, like at the research level will know him and have read, read his stuff, which I haven't done yet. So I'm working on it. Um, hmm. but E.D. Hirsch is very much like a modern era humanist of just like, we need to follow logic. We need to follow the science and, um, and, and like, I have all these good ideas about what education should be, but there, but the, the reference point that ties all those things together is just the human. Um, and if you look over the last couple hundred years of history, modernism is not, it's not coherent enough to hold itself together. Modernism leads to postmodernism, which is very nihilistic and meaningless, um, um, in a lot of ways. And so anyway, Neil Postman, Edie Hirsch, like, I think they have good stuff. They have good ideas, but I don't think that their arguments hit as hard um, because they don't appeal to a transcendent truth beyond just the human being themselves or society at large, which is just kind of a collection of human beings. So I don't know. Um, yeah, those are some of the, the books I read. R.J. Rushdooney is like crazy. I don't know where I heard about him. I mean, I was obviously through Wilson. Um, I think I found it on the Canon Plus app of like, oh, here's a book yeah. that seems cool, and it's written by this guy, R.J. Rushdoony. Well, the first one that you read by him was the Messianic Nature of Second or of American Education, right? Yeah, Is yeah. Is that the title? 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm looking at it right here on my phone. Yo. The messianic nature of American public education. Public education. Yeah. Just one word. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. But RJ Rushdoony, like if you just get on Amazon and type in his name and look at the books he's written, like this dude was prolific. Like that's crazy. Insane. Like he has written dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of books um, about scripture, about science, about philosophy, about education, about history. Like this dude like read and read and read and read. Um, I think I read something that he would read a couple books a week or something insane like that. It's doable. I mean, it's mathematically doable. Like a book takes six to eight hours. And so like, so doable, you've got that time in the week. (laughs) Yeah. But like, yeah, this dude was a scholar. And so I think we could get there, babe. That's what I'm excited about is that like, I mean, cause how much, well, we spend a lot of time with other people and doing other things. <laughs> Friends are a deterrent to reading. <laughs> no, they don't have to be. Yeah. We could have book club. Um, yeah. But I'm just thinking, like, how many hours? Probably not that much, really. We could at least do a book a week. You know what I mean? Like, if we read every night before bed mm-hmm. and then, like, had a couple hours of reading on a Friday night. Right. Or a Saturday. Yeah. Like, doable. Yeah, which in the past, even a year ago or two years ago, I would have been like, I don't really care to even be that kind of person because that sounds really boring. Oh, it's so fun. But as I've changed and learned over the last year of like, the alternative was like playing video games and watching TV. And it's just like, I've like really realized like all of that is just like so garbage. And, And like this also ties into like the vision of myself is like, yeah, in 10 years, 20 years, I don't want to look back over my life and be like... I bur- I beat Paradise Burnout. Yeah, uh, that's a <laughs> game that I was playing last night. Yes, that's a racing game. I love game. you. I'm sorry. Um, not even that, but like, man, like if you just add up all the hours of TV and movies mm-hmm. that you will ha- you would have watched if you have kind of like the average American lifestyle, which is where you probably watch like 30 minutes to an hour of TV almost every day. At least. Yeah. The average is something way more than that, and it's insane. Yeah. And so it's like, imagine like, wow, that's a ton of hours. Like if you look 10 years down the road, like weeks and weeks and weeks of your life just like added up is like watching TV. Imagine how many books that could be and imagine how intelligent and sophisticated and educated and informed and like what have you, mm-hmm. how, how much of those qualities could you be if all of that was reading? Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, like the vision of myself in 10 years is not a TV junkie. The vision of myself in 10 years is someone who actually knows things and can speak to things because, like, I've actually read stuff and and informed Mm -hmm. on a very deep level. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, oh, yeah. So now the idea of reading an hour a night is like, oh, that's an appealing vision for the future. But in the past, that was not appealing. It's also interesting because we approach reading from two very different perspectives. And it's not like I'm over here wanting to read all of the novels and stuff and then you're wanting all the academic stuff. It's not even that. It's two different kinds of learning. Like you're very like, I want to learn the things. I want to learn about education. I want to become well-versed and um, informed about that world. Whereas I'm over here in like relation land. And like I want to learn all about like parenting and like. How to improve your marriage. Our bodies and and our marriages and our relationships and like, like. Well, and and even just like, not necessarily psychology, even in the academic sense, but just like a whole chunk of books that I read this year was dealing with the death of a child, which is applicable, but also like I really enjoyed it. And as I was reading, I was thinking like, this is something that I can then help others with. Right. So, so it's, it has a relational yes, component. Yeah. And, and even just like the health and fitness and body and, um, yeah, just all of that. And I, and a very good chunk of that is because of the conversations that I can then have, especially with other women out of all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then biographies I just love, especially Christian biographies or, um, scientific innovation biographies, because then you just like, there's so many cool humans. And again, there, I'm not really interested in the thing that they did. 
I'm interested in right. the fact that such a human existed. And you're not interested in like, I want to be a historian who knows no. these stories. No, yeah. I want to be their friend. I want to know their life. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. Yeah, and it's yeah. It, it's funny how our femininity and masculinity, if if you will, maybe, or our just our personal interests are expressed through our reading habits. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, although I am thinking... I got Wingspan, you know, the board game for Christmas, and it's just so aesthetically beautiful and everything that it's like making me want to read a bird book, like get a bird book, you know, and like, like, I wonder if there's instead of like the coffee table version where it's just like this bird, here are the stats, da da da, next bird. Like, I'm really curious if there's actually like a cool bird book where you like learn about the lives of birds does that make sense maybe uh you'd probably have to obviously like pick a type of bird or a Uh family of birds yeah because obviously it's too exhaustive to be like let me tell you about every bird in this one book yeah that's fair but i don't know you could learn about owls or hummingbirds or something like that i'm a fan of like cardinals bluebirds the birds that we see all the time around here songbirds Songbirds of Robins. Mi- of, Robin's a good one. Of Missouri. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Like, I want to learn about the way they do life. Why do they sing? <laughs> when do they sing? How do they migrate? You need to go to the ornithology section How of the library. Make, why? <laughs> what's what's happening? Yeah. They kick their kids out of the nest. Just eagles. I don't know. I don't know. And I, but I, but I see myself picking up a book like that and getting like three pages in and being like, yeah mistake never mind i mean it's worth worth trying yeah right and you don't have to finish a book if you don't want to finish it Hmm. i still feel some guilt over that but yeah i'm working on it (laughs) you just got to move on Mm -hmm. yeah but anyway um yeah another book that i'm just going to make a plug for was another rj rush dooney one the philosophy of the christian curriculum Uh and this is one of the areas that i want to continue learning about in this next coming year 2024 um, because it was like, oh my gosh, this guy is like, it's not a book. It's a collection of lectures and speeches that he gave. So every quote unquote chapter is like five pages, but there's like a hundred of them. Um, but it's just like going through, like, what does it mean to have a Christian curriculum? And, and some of those speeches, um, have to do with, the argument that there even is a such thing as a Christian curriculum that is beyond just like we teach everything the same as everyone else and we just add on a Bible class or we just like start a lesson with a Bible verse. Like, obviously that's fine to do, but like, what does it mean to study history through a Christian lens? And if we assume the Bible is true and if we assume that God really is who he says he is in the Bible... How does that inform our understanding of history? And so, like, he'll go into that and, like, music and language and science. Like, he has, like, several, several of the chapters are on science because um, our culture is very enthralled with science. Um, And so um, he speaks to that. But anyway, philosophy of the Christian curriculum is really good. That's one I haven't finished, but I definitely want to finish it. And I have a ton of books on my Amazon wish list along those lines that I want to get into. Nice. But anyway, um, I, I just have so many. Can we post our lists in the show notes? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. I was planning on doing that. I kind of want to put like the list, like I literally have a list on my phone, like a checklist of like books I started, uh, and books I finished. Um, yeah, I think that would be kind of fun. So even some of the books I didn't finish are good. I just need to finish them at some point, but yeah. Um, yeah, a book that. Yeah, and, and I'm really excited about the book that we're reading, The Habits of the Household. Yeah. Um, we'll probably, that'll probably be the next episode. will be the next chapter on that. But that's a that's a really cool book that I'm I excited to... I put that on my list because I was like, no, we're still reading that. And so for some reason... Yeah, I'm excited to continue reading that and working on it. How so. did I not put that on my list? Crazy. <laughs> but... That's insane. Yeah. I don't know. I could keep talking, but I don't think we need to. <laughs> no, yeah, I think I think we can wrap up soon. But yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to take the opportunity to talk about like the stuff we've learned um, 
in the last year, and I emphasize the word learn because it's part of the title of the podcast. And so it's like, we're living and we're learning. And so I think it's cool to like reflect on what we've, what we've learned and what we've come away with. And so, yeah. And so I don't know. And I also just want to make the point, and maybe this is me speaking from the rebel tendency, but like, I think the cool part about learning is not just gaining a bunch of information. And I think a lot of people who don't consider themselves nerdy or don't consider themselves like a quote unquote lifelong learner might view learning as like, I just need to have more information. Like I just need to get on Wikipedia and just like read all the pages about everything. And that's learning. Whereas I view learning as like becoming a new person. Like Mm. when you really learn something, it should change who you are or it should change how you think in such a way that in a way that it changes how you think in perpetuity long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, yes, I can learn who the 13th president of the United States was and like, okay, that's fine. But that's the lowest form of learning. That's just getting some information. Yeah. Whereas the highest form of learning is like, oh, I've actually encountered something new and emphasis on new because that means it was learned. And it's changed how I see the world or it's changed how I live my life on a consistent basis. It's changed who I am as a person. And so that form of learning is the goal, at least for me. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like in in a similar way it is for you. Like yeah. you want to read about relationship stuff and parenting stuff and marriage stuff because like you want to do the, you want to be changed and be a better friend, parent, wife, you know, whatever, all of those things Yeah. through that learning. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And so I don't know. I don't know if that appeals to every listener, but I think viewing learning through that lens, I think, um, can be powerful and helpful. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Did you have any rereads this year? Because I don't typically reread books, but I did reread a book this year. I have not reread any books besides Bible books ever uh, in your life. No. no. Why would way. I? Why would I redo a chore? I'm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. like this. This whole thing of like reading and being excited about it is very recent for me. Well, I mean, I've reread some kid books. That I was gonna say you've reread kid books to me. Yes, and to be share like, them with me. Right, but that's about it. Huh. I just wondered. Well, because uh, one that I want to mention is I reread Bittersweet by Shauna Nyquist or Nyquist, I think is how she actually says it. And I don't know. She's just a cool author who has had a lot more recent books, but. I read most of her stuff that was out, all of her stuff that was out while I was in college. Hmm. And then she came out with a new one. I think it's called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, like right when William died. And hmm. so I read that that year and that made me go back and like reread a lot of her stuff. But Bittersweet was good because I remember reading it in college and being like, man, life is hard. Like, this is a sad book. Like I really liked cold tangerines a lot better. Like they're both collections of essays, but cold tangerines is like fun and light and life is good. And wow. And then bittersweet is like miscarriage and family. And I was like, oof. and then, but this year I reread it and I was like, yeah, life. (laughs) This is the real stuff. Yeah. Yeah, This isn't the fake nicey stuff. I'm trying to remember. I think I may have also reread cold tangerines though, because after reading bittersweet, I was like, you know, some lightness would be nice. I'm curious, like what my take on that is now. Yeah. Got to mix it up. But you asking me if I've reread anything that reminded me of this podcast I just finished today. Yeah. Um, It's from the Huberman Lab Uh podcast. Um, What's his first name? David Huberman? No. Yikes. Sorry, dude. Blank Huberman. Um, um, What is it? Andrew Huberman. That's... that's Yeah, Andrew Huberman. Sorry. I just totally... Just guess a random white guy's name. No, sorry. (laughs) Andrew Huberman. um, He had a podcast with Dr. Robert Lustig, How Sugar and Processed Foods Impact Your Health. And this podcast episode is like almost four hours long. I was going to say, we listened to it for like at least two and a half last night. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. And it was like riveting. And the guy was just like talking about the different kinds of sugar and how glucose and fructose have different effects on your metabolism and your body and how fructose is super addictive, Mm. but glucose is not and added sugars and the food industry and like what you can do about it. And like, 
when you eat calories, that doesn't necessarily mean those calories end up in your body. And so like a calorie is not a calorie in some, in a, in a sense. Um, and just like all these things. And I was just like, whoa, this is like riveting and like really helpful for me because I'm trying to work on improving my diet mm -hmm. and my, my health and stuff like that. So I listened to this whole podcast and didn't take any notes. And I'm realizing that like, I probably want to go back and re-listen to the whole thing and take notes because I feel like it has stuff that I want to have on hand mm -hmm. um, and then like implement and be able to discuss with other people more easily. And mm -hmm. so I don't know, I have, I'm not at reread re a book level, but yeah. re-listen to a four hour podcast. Yes. I, I think I'm going to do that. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's less of a time commitment than a whole book, sure. but I don't know. I, I'm also realizing that one of my favorite things about reading is that it always leads to more. Hmm. Like one way that I really enjoy reading is by hearing about a book from a friend. So I read that book and then I realize that that author has other books. And then like in learning about that author, I find out that they're good friends with this other author and then I read their books and then I find out they have more books. And then like this other, like it's just this whole interconnected world of really cool stuff. Yeah. And, and, and that should be an exciting part yeah. of, of learning and reading. Instead yeah. of a, a turnoff, like a, a daunting shutdown factor. Mm -hmm. So it's fun. Anyway, I look forward to continue reading and learning with you in the new year. Yeah. So, but I just wanted to talk about where we've been, where we've come in the last year. And uh, we can look forward to another podcast maybe in a year talking about how 2024 went. Yeah. So. What's your goal? I mean, I still want to do a book a month mm -hmm. and then anything on top of that is gravy, which is great. But like, I'm just, I'm just trying to stay consistent for now and mm. then we can build up as we go. Yeah. I don't know that I have a goal either. I think I just, I think it's not a specific goal of how many books. I think it's more of a you goal <laughs> um, of like, I want our household to become more of a reading household. And so, and I want myself to choose to read in more downtime than I choose to Netflix or I choose to I don't I don't know that that's literally the other option that I do in my downtime yeah yeah that's fair yeah very cool awesome well thanks for discussing with me yeah and to all the listeners thanks for listening we'll catch you on the next one boop, boop. bye bye